Tonight's reading is from Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1, which is found on page 1140, 1140. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You, then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account to himself, to God. Lisa, thank you very much. Well, good evening. My name's Matt Fuller. Let me have my welcome. And um, we'll look at Romans 14. Let's pray, and we'll make a start. Our loving Father, we've sung to you as our fortress and our rock. And we know that's true because we can stand upon the promises of your word as we've sung. And so now as we come and open your word and study it together, would you strengthen our faith? Would you help us to be clearer in our faith? Would you give us a greater picture of who you are? So we want to follow you, we want to serve you, and we know better how to do it. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, Mark has mentioned already, uh, we're continuing then in this section of the book of Romans that gives very practical instruction on what Christian love should look like. Uh, it began in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, given everything that the Lord has done for you, how should we, how should we live? And uh, we've had a couple of chapters, very practical instruction on what love should look like in the Christian community. And it's, it's a striking picture. I mean, what, I guess perhaps the most striking element of it is um, involvement in people's lives. There's a call that we're committed to one another as a Christian church. We're a community that wants to be involved in one another's lives, to support one another, to celebrate with one another, cry with one another, to help one another out, to serve one another. That's distinctively Christian about a community. And we push on with that tonight. It's a slightly different, it's a countercultural way of living because I guess in our period, our cultural moment in history, we're pretty individualistic. So we, uh, we live in our flats, but we don't know anyone else in the block. 
we hide away behind our iPods and cocoon ourselves in the street as we wander down. We're pretty individualistic. And so we need this. We need to be reminded of this. No, no, a Christian community is different. It is countercultural. And one of the ways that is obvious in the 21st century is by our commitment to one another, how we relate and treat one another. It's one of the great distinctive differences. So we've had some, uh, uh, some very practical observations on this. And now in chapters 14 and 15, Paul starts to address a slightly different issue. He gets specific and spends quite a long time on this one issue, which is how do you hold a church together when people are very different? When people have different ideas or perspectives on how things should be done and live, how do you hold a church together? How do you remain united? And again, I think this has a particular focus for us in London because it would be quite easy in a, in a big city, any big city, you could, uh, if you disagreed with a few people in the church, you could just leave and go to another church on the other side of the city. You could do that in London. Let's be realistic. You could if you had a disagreement over something. But the Bible, and we'll look at this, start to look at this tonight, is very clear. It would say, don't do that. Don't do that. Actually, the, the reputation, the glory of the Lord Jesus is at stake here. No, stay. Work out your disagreements. Uh, that'll be good for you. <laughs> and it'll honor Jesus Christ. So you've got to work at these things. Yes, yes, there's going to be tensions and disputes, of course, within a church. But you've got to work at them. That's honoring to Christ. You can't just shuffle out the door because you have a little disagreement on something. So how do you do that? How do you hold a church together when people are so different? That's the question uh, that we're really thinking about tonight. And uh, in answering that, Paul does so by looking at the very specific example, very obvious way of doing it, by looking at vegetables. (laughs) Maybe not the way we'd have done it. But that's the presenting issue in the church at Rome. Let's think for a little bit about what's going on. Who are the weak? Who are the strong that we've read about? What are these disputable matters? What does it mean to be weak or strong? Let me reread verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, let's get some definitions in place. Uh, By the time we get to chapter 15, I think it'll become obvious that the weak that Paul is talking about are probably um, believers uh, from a Jewish background. And uh, so they've got a heritage of various different food laws, and they've brought them into the Christian faith. So when Paul says weak, don't get carried away. These are not um, sort of pathetic, sandal-wearing, weedy-weak, meek and mild, pathetic you know, useless, feeble, not that, not in that sense. He's got lots of positive things to say about these weak people. Why are they weak? Only in this sense that they believe that abstaining from meat glorified God more than eating it. That's what they think. Abstaining from meat makes you a better Christian than if you eat it. So they have a genuine faith, these people. They're really believers, true believers. But because of their heritage in in Judaism and and the old uh, uh, law, Mosaic law, they're thinking, well, I must be in some sense superior if I abstain from meat, certain types of meat, like we did back then. Those are the weak. And the strong, of course, by contrast, say, don't be ridiculous. We can eat anything. Meat is good, yum, yum, yum. 
and uh, you're ridiculous and stuck in the past and you know you need to you need to expand your view of what you can do you need to expand your liberty that you have in the christian faith so there's the weak shouldn't eat meat makes you a better christian if you don't the strong shut up don't be ridiculous um i can do what i want i have liberty as a christian those are the issues now clearly the the presenting issue here of meat consumption or not has yet to really become a divisive issue here at our church i mean let's be realistic we've not had salami boycotts by the crudite warriors and um you know campaigns uh, i've yet to have any feedback on any feedback form saying please make compulsory kebabs at prayer meetings or something like that it's just not an issue for us but um hopefully as we work our way through it you'll see that is the presenting issue there for people with this jewish background and people who don't have that background that really was a source of tension for them then even though it isn't going to be for us now but the timeless application is this how do you relate to one another in a church on minor issues when you disagree on what's called here disputable matters that's the sort of timeless application how are you going to relate to one another when there are clashes on these sort of issues now it's my intention next week and when we look at the second half of the chapter to go um, spend more time thinking what is what isn't a disputable issue what falls into that category what doesn't can things move it's important to think about that and we're going to do that next week but let me just give you a, a sort of working definition for now which is the for some issues the bible says we should divide some things are worth dividing over other things we should just overlook and get on with one another so just flick over the page uh chapter 16 verse 17 Here's an example of something we should divide over. So Paul writes this, I urge you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the minds of naive people. So you just see here's a situation where division has been caused because people are uh living in such a way or teaching things which are just abhorrent or contradict the teaching of Jesus Christ at that point Paul says just make it obvious keep away from them and that will be true today so there'll be issues and occasions where uh, someone who calls himself a christian stands up and makes it and says uh, we believe this and you would choose to publicly distance yourself from them if they're making abhorrent claims in the name of Christ if they're teaching things which are contradictory to the scriptures and obviously so we as a church would want to say we're not with them they have divided from the christian faith do you see we're different from them so there's a time to do that there's a time when it's right to divide that's uh, chapter 16 but the issue we've got here in uh, chapter 14 15 is different these issues they don't matter as much so for paul even though he thought you should be able to eat meat no problem with that he said look in a church if that's what you're disagreeing over you can live with that that is not a 
core issue of the faith. So, I mean, it'll be different for us today. It can manifest in a number of ways, I guess. Uh, What do you do in church? What music should you have? Whether humor is appropriate? Uh, Moral issues, personal issues. Um, should you, you know, some Christians say, you mustn't go and watch that film, it's awful. Others would say, hey, look, that's fine, no, I can go there and watch that. Some would say, look, you mustn't go to that sort of nightclub, it's got a desperate reputation. Others would say, no, I've got no problem with that, it doesn't influence me, I don't think it does me any harm. Now, those sort of issues, are you right-wing or left-wing in your politics, look, you can live with those sort of things. They're relatively minor issues in the faith. Don't divide over them. That would be wrong. There's no need to separate you can live with one another. We think more about when something, when things change categories, what is a disputable, what isn't. More on that next week. But just for now, we need to bear in mind, there are some things, core teachings of the Bible, that you want to divide over. But here in chapter 14 and 15, they are smaller, minor issues that we can live with one another on. When you get those disputable issues, two things to do. Two things we need to have clear, and they're on the sheets. Two reasons sort of how we're to behave, and they both come uh, with an explanation why. Uh, so the first is this. It's verses 1 to 4, really. Don't look down on the weak or judge the strong. Now, looking realistic, uh, being realistic, there are two groups here. If you're strong, that is, in these cases, you're a meat eater, but I guess more generally we could define it this way. If you're strong, that is, you are um, liberal in your practices. You allow quite a lot. You're pretty tolerant in your practices. If you're strong, don't look down upon the weak. If you're weak, it may mean in practice you're more conservative, more traditional in your practices and your morality, maybe. Um, don't judge. Don't judge the strong. If you're weak, then you're... So I've said that wrong, haven't I? <laughs> Forgive me, let me get that right again. If you're strong, don't look down upon the weak and patronize them. If you're weak, don't judge the strong. Let's look at what it looks like in practice. At first, then, a word to the strong. Back then, you've got a group thinking, I can eat what I want. I can eat meat. Why are you lot over there? Why are you so obsessed with food laws? Get, just get a life. You can eat what you want. We're Christians. You're not bound by these old laws. You can eat how you want. Look, don't, and you just, oh, you make me feel guilty every time I tuck into meat. You, you know, get a life. Stop cramping my style. Look, that's the attitude. They're looking down upon those who have tender consciences. Paul says you need to stop that. You need to stop that. And then to the weak, he says, Well, look, back then you've got a weak group. They're saying, no, look, abstaining from meat, going without meat, that makes me a stronger Christian, I think. I'm a better, superior Christian because I do this. That's, you know, that's how God related to me back then. I think I'm better and stronger for doing that today. And Paul says to them, don't judge those others. Don't judge the meat eaters. Don't tell them you're superior to them. Okay, look, what does that look like in practice? Let's try and get practical. Or let, me, let me run with an example. It may not be the best, but just try and spin it out so we get what this means. Imagine then someone puts a notice in a timeout, you know, the, um, the sort of uh, the church email that goes around. Someone puts a notice and says, hey, next Friday, 
why don't a gang of us go to the cinema and watch Sex and the City? A fairly sort of neutral, they think it's fine, a good fun thing. Now, there'll be some, there'll be some, presumably, who have tender consciences. In Paul's language, they are weak. They have tender consciences and say, no, I don't want to go to that. It's not just the blokes because it's a rom-com. People more generally, they say, no, I don't want to go to that. I'm guessing that has some themes which aren't going to be helpful. I don't want to go to that. Well, that may be one attitude. And that's okay. That's okay. But Paul's language, what you must do if that's your perspective, and you think, I don't want to go to that. He says, what you mustn't do is judge those who do. You mustn't say to the cinema goers, look, you, how can you go and see that as a Christian? <laughs> really? How can you do that? I mean, you know, all the emphases that are going to come out of that film. I am a better Christian for not going to watch that sort of film than you. Paul says, no, you mustn't make that sort of judgment. Just because you've got a tender conscience. And for you, it isn't right to go and watch something like that. Don't judge those who do. On the other side, they've got those who uh, think, look, it's a film. Get a life. Just because I go and watch a film like Sex and the City, it doesn't actually make me want to go out and spend 500 quid on a pair of shoes. It doesn't make me want to go out and, and have sex. It doesn't make me want to go out and find my identity in um, romantic relationships. It just, look, it just doesn't have that impact upon my life. I can go, laugh, have a reasonable time, and leave. And it makes no difference to me. That's okay, says Paul. What you mustn't do is mock those who don't go. You mustn't say to those who don't want to go, you are so tragic. You are so closeted from the world. You know, ooh, ooh, scared of the cinema, mustn't go to the cinema, only watch the Teletubbies, only thing I'm allowed to watch. <laughs> Why don't you go and live with the Amish, then you'll be okay. That sort of condescending, looking down upon, which you could be tempted to do. Paul says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You see how it works? Those generally of a tender conscience are going to think, you over there, you're just, you've got loose morals. Whereas those um, of a fairly firm um, conscience who are strong in Paul's language are going to say, look, you over there, you're sad, you're tragic, you, you know, you should get out more. Uh, those are the ways you could go. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. You can have differing opinions. That's okay on this sort of issue. Of course it's okay. And, you know, no problem. But don't look down on and don't judge the others. That's when you've got a problem. Uh, why so? Well, here's the because. And really it's because of our relationship with God. We get these uh, encouragements to be tolerant. Three little reasons, really. Verse 3, uh, end of verse 3. Or let me read verse 3. The man who eats must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Here's the first little reason. Sorry, there it is. Verse 3. God has accepted him. There's the first little reason. So there's a Christian who's been accepted by God, and yet you won't accept them. Well, God has. You need to do the same. That second little thing he gives us, verse 4, is because God will be our judge. Who are you to judge? Someone else's servant. 
to his own master he stands or falls. Look, on these matters, leave it to God to judge people's behaviour. You can't see into their hearts. So someone organises, you know, another thing, someone organises a trip to a nightclub with perhaps a slightly dubious reputation. And some of a weak conscience say, you can't go there and be a Christian. How can you do that? You must be pretty immoral. Those perhaps of a uh, a stronger conscience can say, no, it's all right. It doesn't really affect me. I just go there and dance. That's all I do. And you, Sado, should come and have a good time and lighten up. Uh, You can't look into someone else's heart and know what's going on. Leave that to God. If they've made that decision, leave them alone. God will judge. And third little reason is God will make us, God will uh, make his people stand, verse 4. End of verse 4. He will stand. The Lord is able to make him stand. Look, God will bring his people home. Even his cantankerous, quarrelsome people, he'll bring them home. So look, leave that to him. The picture's a bit like this, I guess. Don't judge because of your relationship with God. Imagine a, a couple... And uh, they, they adopt two children. So they adopt weak William and strong Sally. And uh, these, these kids, they argue, particularly when they become teenagers. Uh, weak William always says to his sister, oh, I don't, you should be thrown out of our family. Because you're just, you know, you, the way you behave, I mean, it's just a disgrace. I don't, I'm a much better child than you are, says weak William. Strong Sarah retorts, Look, actually, Sally, good. (laughs) Strong Sally retorts, um, Hey, look, Sado, you're the one who should be thrown out because you're just a killjoy. You're just making everyone glum in our family. And this sort of dispute rages back and forth until the parents say, Hey, kids, shut it. We've adopted you, both of you. We have chosen to love both of you. We have brought you into our family, our house. We say both are accepted. No one's going anywhere. No one's being thrown out of the house. Don't be so silly. Actually, if, someone is beha- if someone's behaviour, if one of you is behaving in a way which is unacceptable, we'll decide that as the parents, not you. And look, you're to family. The fact that you disagree over these little things pff, doesn't matter so too much. You're family, you're committed to one another, and we're saying you're both staying and you're both welcomed. Well, that's the picture here. Paul says, look, stop stop your arguing. God has accepted both of you. Don't judge or look down on one another. God looks down upon both of you and says, you're both a bit silly at times, but I love you both, I welcome you both, and I'll keep you both. Now love one another and get over your silly arguments. That's the perspective he gives. So don't look down upon the weak and don't judge the strong. Welcome one another. Accept one another. That's the sort of community we need to be. Now, realistically, we'll, we'll kind of know which of these two we are, whether we're um, strong and allow ourselves to do all sorts of things and mock those who aren't quite as broad-minded as us. Some of us will be more inclined towards that. Because we're a youngish crowd, perhaps more of us will be inclined that way to having a strong view of things, liberal-minded. But of course, there will be others. There's bound to be others of us who are just more conservative, more traditionally-minded. 
Well, don't judge those who are different. You can't know what's going on in their hearts. You can't do that. We need to welcome one another, accept one another. We need to be that sort of community where there can be those sort of differences. And I look forward to seeing if someone puts an advert in for a cinema trip to go and see that. Why not? Don't look down upon the weak or judge the strong, he says. No, we could stop there. That would be a good lesson. And in one sense, you'd expect Paul to make those sort of points, and we could stop, and all would be well. He doesn't stop there. He says, secondly, there's another thing you need to do when you get these disputes over minor issues. You need to be convinced in your own mind and honor the Lord. Now, I found this very surprising. You need to be convinced in your mind and honor the Lord. Uh, Let me read from verse 5. See, here's another issue going on. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to the Lord. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Very interesting. You see, Paul doesn't say on the meat, vegetables, on the some days are special, some days are not. He doesn't say, look, let's be honest, these are minor issues. It doesn't matter what you believe. Just, you know, it doesn't matter. He says, these are minor issues relatively, but you must know what you believe. You've got to be utterly persuaded in your own mind that what you're doing is right. It's very striking. He doesn't say ignore these little things. But decide what you think and then run with your opinion, your conscience. I found that very surprising. So the issue here, there's another little issue going on of uh, uh, which days are special, are some days more special than others. As you can imagine that going on, that's perhaps an argument that we might have today in church. So some are saying, Sunday is a special day. Sunday is a special day to the Lord and you need to treat it as such. Others are saying, nah, no it isn't just another day. It's just, just another day like any others. You, do, you can do anything. You can work on a Sunday. It makes no difference whatsoever. You can imagine that sort of dispute going on. Paul doesn't say, well, look, it's relatively minor. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what you believe. He says to both groups, okay, go away and think about that and become utterly convinced that you're right and then get on with one another. In one sense, you think that's surprising because he kind of feels like he's pouring oil on the fire here a little bit. You know, know, go away and be really, really sure that you're right, but then be kind to one another and don't fight about it. But it matters. No fence-sitting. You can't just be ambivalent on this, a bit wishy-washy. You've got to know what you think. And he goes on, you see, that the reason for that is verse 6, because whatever you do in life, you do it to the Lord. Whatever you do in life, you must do it for the glory of God. So the point of verse 6 is, do you eat meat or not eat meat? It doesn't matter. If you do it for the glory of God. If when you do it, you think, I'm doing this to honor the Lord. Do you go to, do you keep Sunday as special or do you not? It doesn't matter. If when you do or don't keep it special, you know that you're doing it to honour the Lord. Do I go to the cinema or not? It doesn't matter. As long as in your own mind you're persuaded 
that what you're doing, you're doing for the Lord. Do you go to the risque nightclub or not? It doesn't matter. As long as you're persuaded in your own mind that you're doing it, not just because it's convenient, but you're doing it because you think you're honouring the Lord. Do you see Paul's argument here? How you decide, I don't really, what you decide upon, I don't really mind. As long as you're doing it for God. Now, before we unpack the motivation, let me make a few more comments on that, because um, uh, people could get a bit confused. Uh, these sort of things about being convinced in your own mind. What do you do then if someone says, um, someone says, well, I'm persuaded in my own mind, I'm fully convinced in my mind that it's acceptable for me to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm a Christian, and I'm fully convinced in my own mind that's okay. What do you say to them? Well, you'd say no. That, that can't be a disputable matter. The Bible is very, very, very clear in countless places that God's gift of sex is a wonderful gift for marriage. So you can't say that on that issue. It's just not disputable. Secondly, what do you say if someone says, um, uh, I'm fully convinced in my own mind that it's perfectly acceptable for me to uh, spend the night in the same room as my boyfriend, girlfriend. And the Bible doesn't say anything on that. It doesn't say. There's no rules in the Bible on that one. It's okay, interesting. Now, the Bible doesn't have a clear comment on that, whether you can stay in the same room. But, but is that really the most Christ-honoring thing to do? Can you really say that doing that is honouring Jesus Christ? Can you? Is that the best way? Or are you perhaps, people going to look upon you, even if you behave perfectly well, people are going to look upon what you're doing and think, ah, those Christians hypocrites. So you've got to bear these things in mind as well. You can't just say, oh, I'm fully convinced. No, does the Bible speak into that issue? And then is it wise? Is it Christ-honouring? You've got to bear those things in mind as well. Remember, Paul is saying you've got to be utterly convinced. If you think to yourself, I probably shouldn't do this. I probably shouldn't spend the night. I probably shouldn't go to that film. But I know it's a disputable matter, and other people are. So even though I think I probably shouldn't, I will. You're not utterly convinced, are you? Your conscience has got you taped at that point. You're not doing it because you're persuaded that that is the best way to glorify God. That's the issue. So on a disputable matter, a question you've got to ask is, um, can I, if I spend, my, spend the night, I'm talking about this one now, if I spend the night in this room with boyfriend, girlfriend, can I, while I'm doing it, pray to God, God, I think this is the most best way of glorifying you. Can you do that? If you can't, I think your conscience has got you taped and says you shouldn't be doing that. And if you can, brilliant, brilliant, doesn't matter. But you see how it plays out. You've got to be doing these things. You've got to be convinced in your own mind and honour the Lord. You've got to be persuaded this is the best way of honouring him. And the, uh, the logic continues. The reason why the because comes, verses 7 to 9. Let me read on. Because or for, 
None of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. See how he pushes this a bit further now. Whatever you do in life, whatever your action is, you need to be persuaded that you're doing it to glorify the Lord. He takes them, you know, eat meat or not eat meat. As long as you're doing it for the Lord's sake, it doesn't matter. He goes for an utterly extreme contrast, whether you live or die. It doesn't matter, as long as you're persuaded that you're doing it for the Lord. That's what counts. You see, he's very good. You can't be a fence-sitter on these sort of issues. It isn't sort of namby-pamby, wishy-washy, I don't really know what I think about that, so I'll just go with the crowd. You can't do that. He says you've got to be persuaded that your course of action is the glorifying one for God. And, you know, the ultimate reason comes in verse 9. Because Jesus Christ, he died and he returned to life so that we'd belong to him. So that we live for him. That's the key. We live for him. So whatever you're doing, be persuaded on these sort of issues that you're doing it for his sake, for his glory. So look, should I, should I go to the cinema or should I not? It doesn't matter as long as if you're persuaded that your decision honours the Lord Jesus Christ in all of life. Should I stay living in London or move to Bristol? It doesn't matter as long as you're persuaded that what you're doing is the best way to glorify the Lord. Should I stay in this job or should I move to another job? It doesn't matter as long as you're persuaded that that is the best way of glorifying the Lord. Should I work on Sunday or not? It doesn't matter. As long as you're persuaded that what you're doing, you're persuaded that's the way you should glorify the Lord. Very striking. That is what counts. So, and given the caveats we've mentioned, you know, it's got to be in, in the Bible is, can't speak clearly on it. You must be doing it in a way which is wise and glorifying to the Lord. On these sort of minor issues, what sort of music you should have in church, whether humor is allowed in church, personal issues, morality, should I do that, should I not? Paul says, on minor issues, when there isn't absolute clarity, perhaps, you've got to glorify the Lord. And then what you choose to do, it doesn't matter so much. St. Augustine, thousands of years ago, put it quite simply. Here's a simple answer in one sense. He says, love God and do what you want. And that, that in one sense, is a summary of what Paul is saying here. If you're persuaded that your chosen course of action on a minor issue, disputable issue, is the most glorifying, is the best way of loving God, then go for it. Love God and do what you want. It's quite liberating, isn't it? But you've got to work out if it's the best way of loving God before you go for it. If your desire is to love him, your motive will always be which path is the best one? Which is the most pleasing path to go down to serve him, follow him? And on these sort of issues, within a church like ours, different people have different answers. Go to the cinema, not. Go to the nightclub, not. Work on Sunday, not. We'll have different answers. And that's fine. As long as as individuals we're persuaded that what we're doing is the best way of loving God and glorifying him.
What matters then is verse 10 to 12. We'll stand before God one day. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down upon your brother? For we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. As long as when we stand before him, we say, look, I didn't really know on that issue. Different people had different ideas. I did what I thought was best for loving you. I did what I thought was best for honoring you. That's the path to take. Two things then. When we're having these sort of debates on uh, minor issues in church, don't look down upon the weak. Don't judge the strong. Be kind. Love one another. And in our own minds, we've got to know what we think and take the path which we think is most loving to the Lord, the best way of serving him. Let's try and wrap it up. How then do you hold a church together when people are so different from one another? How do you do that? You know, we have different views then on how to live the Christian life. What do you do? Well, I think it probably comes down to these three basic things. One, what does the Bible say? Is it clear? If it is, there's there's your issue solved straight away. You may disagree with someone. Get someone, get get a third opinion. Is the Bible clear on this? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, it's no longer a disputable matter. If not... Secondly, which course of action are you persuaded is the best way of honoring the Lord and loving him? You've got to be persuaded of that. Then that's the one you should take. Thirdly, accept one another. Don't mock those who are tender conscienced. Don't judge those who perhaps are sterner consciences. Love one another. Don't publicly relate very well but behind their back say well you know they're inferior they're inferior or they're shadows and and straight laced you can't do that you've got to accept one another love one another and when that's hard then we remember verse nine jesus christ died and returned to life so that he'd be lord over you and me he's welcomed me he's welcomed you if you're a christian so love, so love one another. You may disagree over an issue with someone else, but you've got to bear in mind, Jesus thought it was worth dying for them. So who are you to judge them or look down upon them? This is the way that we maintain a community which loves one another. We think it through for ourselves, and there's a generosity of spirit we accept. Those who are different. So three little things. One, what does the Bible say? Is it clear? If not, if you think it's not. Two, what are you persuaded in your own mind you should do is the best way of loving the Lord? Three, accept one another. Accept that there are differences. And so for us here, let's be a community which does this, which accepts one another and lives in a way which is, we're persuaded, is the most glorifying for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, forgive us for the times when we, we don't even think these issues through. We perhaps do just follow a crowd. We don't think in our own minds, what is the best way of honoring you, of glorifying you, and choosing that path? 
Forgive us when we're quick to judge or look down upon others who have different views to us. And we pray that as we remember that these are brothers and sisters that the Lord Jesus has died for, that you have welcomed them, that you are Lord of our lives, Lord over everything we do, that we'd be increasingly marked as a community by generosity, by an acceptance, a willingness to love those who on these minor issues think differently to us. Would we be a community marked by love and welcoming acceptance, we pray. Amen. Let me um, give you a moment or two to, to ask if there are any questions about that. Uh, we've got another uh, couple of weeks kind of thinking about these sort of issues, certainly next week in more detail. Mike. Okay. Mike's asking the question then, um, how far do you continue this debate? Um, so you recognize that both of you disagree on an issue. How long do you keep going in an attempt to persuade the other person that secretly you're right? Um, well, yes, yeah, interesting. I think much of it, it comes down to manner in which it's done. Um, if one person is saying, look, I am persuaded that this is what I should do on this issue, just leave me alone and leave them alone. If someone is saying, I think I should probably do this, but actually I'd really enjoy hearing your perspective, I'm a theological debate lover. Um, therefore, um, bring it on. And, oh, interesting, mm, I need to go away about that. So it slightly depends on you know, manner, how it's done. Um, I will think a bit more about this next week, but you mustn't, mustn't, mustn't coerce someone to do something they don't want to. So if you're in that position, Yeah, we'll see this next week, definitely. If you're, if you, the cinema thing, it's a silly example in one sense, but the cinema thing, if you think, I don't know, I don't know if I should or I shouldn't, well, you're best to err on the weak side. You're not going to offend your conscience then. Um, but more on that next time. Yeah. Tina. Okay. Tina's asking the question, the, does the passage actually say, say it's better to be strong and to be weak and um, I haven't uh, brought out that emphasis uh, yeah Paul is quite clear in his own mind he's strong um, yeah on this particular issue of meat eating now he hasn't written about cinema trips and um, nightclubs and uh, you know what would he have been on those? I don't know. So on the issue of should you eat meat, he's saying, yeah, go for it. But he doesn't compel them to. He says, if you're not persuaded, don't. Um, and I wanted to expand it out a little bit beyond the salami boycott um, to think a bit more generally about the timeless application. Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Carrie. Helpfully preaches next week's passage by, uh, <laughs> by uh, making the point that um, there is a place for the strong to limit their freedom 
to, for the sake of the weak and um, not to uh, yeah, impose that upon them, make life awkward for them. Yeah. And that's really the second half of the passage. We'll look at next week. Gosh, again, lots of, yeah. Susie. Okay. So Susie's been invited to the cinema with some um, uh, non-Christian friends, but she still has some question marks over the film, uh, should she go. Um, that is a slightly different issue. Uh, the things that pertain are, uh, when you do it, do you think that's the best way of serving and honoring the Lord? And you've got to make that decision up in your own mind. You might think to yourself, look, there'll be some... St- I mean, this is, you know, this film, I mean, it's neither here nor there in one sense. But um, there may be some scenes in the film which I think are pretty unpleasant and I'm not going to enjoy. However, I could go along and, um, given the, the film's subject matter, there'll be lots of discussion afterwards about the nature of friendship and loneliness um, and security and where you find security... And you know what? I'm bound to have some really useful conversations about all those things, which are fundamental human needs. I mean, we want to talk about those things. And as a film, it's going to throw that stuff up. So I'll go and have those conversations. But then you really, it's a call that you make in your own mind about whether you should do it or not. Be wary of words like requirement. Again, just in the sense of, so you might think, I'm going to go to the cinema and have those conversations with my friends. Molly says, I can't do that. I'll just find the film too unhelpful and offensive, so I'm not going to do that. You mustn't say to her, but Molly, you could have all these opportunities. She mustn't say to you, but, you know, you're just, you know, you're going to be corrupted and you'll never be the same again. Um, Both of those would be wrong ways of handling it. Okay, here's an encouragement for you. Uh, what you could do is, we'll talk more about this next time, but because it's a very real issue, isn't it? I mean, what sort of things do you get upset about in a church? When do you get angry and make a protest on public stand? When don't you? Be worth it. If you had in your own mind any question, is this a disputable matter or is it not? Should I get upset about this or should I not? Um, should we make a stand on this issue of morality or is it not a disputable matter. If, if any of those come to your mind this week, why don't email the office and um, uh, we'll, we'll incorporate them into the sermon. So if you've got real live issues of which you're not sure about, is this, is this an issue of debate for Christians or is the Bible absolutely clear on it? So why not email in and uh, we'll include those in and cover them when we're looking at this stuff next week.